0: and about to attack with a cold wind whistling across his back he pounced on annie cause she was slim cause she looked so frail and feminine that he wouldn't have done it if he unlined you she was a master of kung fu steel-hearted Annie with an iron will looks about as Chance on a small, slim dame With a punch like a piston on a steam train Steel-hearted Annie don't like to pose Like a trembling victim in a movie show She gets mad when she's in distress Like an animal in the wilderness There's nothing that she wouldn't do to survive Got a strong desire to stay alive And she looks cute Chance on a small slim game with a punch like a piston on a steam train steel hearted and he lived near a jail where a psycho killer was released on bail he crept stealthily through the night broke into a house to give her a fright and the cold wind whistle round the window frames made a sound like a ghost rattling chains but the psycho killer ran With a carving knife Still out of any with an iron will. Looks about as frail as a daffodil But you don't take a chance on a small slim dame With a punch like a piston on a steel to stand up to violence she went to classes and learned to fight now she's not afraid to walk around at night she's a great big shark in a little tin can a little firecracker with a great big bang so just be careful what you do because Annie's now a mother
1: And that was Penelope Swales with Zeal Heart Annie. Uh, good morning. You are listening to Scotty Foster and Zena Richardson, your host today with Behind the Lines on 2 X Community Radio 98.3 FM in Canberra. Well, this morning we have a treat for you. When we interviewed Peter Swarbrick and Bethany Williams as part of our ACT election series, it was clear that no matter the outcome, we were going to be hearing more from these inspiring change makers. Both ran as candidates with the Canberra progressives, and although they didn't manage to secure seats, they remain passionate about their desire to engage with community, create inspiring projects, and facilitate needed change. With the spotlight focused on Attorney General Christian Porter and MP Alan Tudge this week and the misogynistic culture in politics, it is clearer than ever that we need to effectively address the gender imbalance in leadership. For a spirited discussion about why the patriarchy must be dismantled, please join me in welcoming back live in studio, Peter Swarbrick and... Bethany Williams, good morning Good, good morning. Good morning, Zena and Scotty. Thanks for having Thanks us back. Us. Good yeah. morning.
2: It's exciting to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: welcome. It's so lovely to have you. Well, um, we won't go into the bias because I think we did that last time where most of the folks know that, you know, there's a lovely line that Bethany used was, don't get mad, get elected. Yes. And I said, well, if you don't get elected, you can go back to getting mad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure can. Yeah. It's, it's it's wonderful. It's more yeah. freedom. Freedom <laughs> first swear words. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so before we get into talking about what we discussed in the intro, I'd love to know, how was the the election experience for both of you?
3: What, what came oh, out of that? Interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think I had the election experience where I did actually get to uh, meet other women candidates. Um, I spent a bit of time with the lovely Emma Davidson. And so obviously, I'm very sorry that progressives didn't get elected, but very happy with the more green um, greater number of green MLAs and the more green-leaning people, obviously, seeing that there it needs to be more of a balance. Um, in politics in Canberra to keep it a civilised place, more balance against the notions of profit and individualism and business um, and really sort of balance that up for the environment, for the community. So that was really fantastic. So I I actually had a brilliant experience. I met so many great people. Um, It's only inspired me to do more Mm -hmm. of it, whatever it was. Um, Getting out there, talking to community was the thing that I really loved and engaging politicians and actually, you know, know being part of the debate and asking them curly questions and making them feel uncomfortable and all of that was was really good and obviously as somebody with nothing to lose that was relatively easy to do so I had a great campaign it was on the smell of an oily rag Beth had a slightly more checkered yeah, experience yeah, don't experience know if you want to talk about the whole wasn't thing. all
2: glitter and rainbows <laughs> so it was really interesting um I I um Experienced a lot of bullying, online bullying, and harassment from um, members of a certain political party, the one who wasn't elected. Um, And also, I copped. I had an interesting experience with a, sit- a, a, was a sitting MLA in my electorate who um, accused me of stealing signs. And so um, that sort of um, made it interesting because it, it drew my attention away from my campaigning and more on to um, addressing that issue. So that was really, ups- it was upsetting, but it was really frustrating because how I took, whether it was meant to be this way, how I took it was that it was meant to be intimidating by a male uh, a, a man trying to intimidate me, um, I, I didn't think I was any threat, um, but the people that um, volunteered for his campaign, they'd see me on the street and they'd they'd sort of behave in a way, it was very animalistic in a way, you know, chanting at me and, you know, banging their um core flutes at me. Remember that day, Peter? <laughs> really? we were on the, It was election day. you sure day. they
1: weren't trying to get into the Trump campaign? Yeah.
4: <laughs> well,
2: it's interesting that it you like say the, that. Sounds like the
4: school carnival, doesn't it? Yeah,
2: yeah, it's interesting you say that. The young liberals have just released a statement about how they support, they completely support the election of, nomination um, of Amy Coney Barrett to the mm-hmm. Supreme Court and they want a Shapiro and somebody, you know, and, and it was all basically Trumpism slash Republicanism um, in there and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, is, is this the Young liberals—are these the people who are going to be in the Liberal Party down the track? It's it's kind of scary, but the the behaviour was really enlightening because it's 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 only amplified for me personally why I want to get into politics because that's the type of (coughs) behaviour. Excuse me, I think is completely. It's unacceptable and, and and the people want it. Well, they want better standards than that. They don't want people who behave like school thugs and bullies and school children. They want people who actually represent them um, and, and are mature and capable.
1: Well, the culture feeds itself. As soon as a couple people do it, it gives permission mm. for others. It
2: does. And it's the same thing with misogyny,
1: yeah. right? Like you, well, you well, create that's, that enabling culture. Exactly.
3: Look, I mean, bullying, that idea of dominating through you know an empowerment A power imbalance or a perceived power imbalance all it does is it it then gives permission to other flavors of bullying which are misogynistic bullying or race racist bullying um, or you know ableist bullying so it, it is unfortunately um and the nature of that Kind of competitive, combative, dominance and control sort of model. Um, and I personally, I, I can see the problems with that. It's not just when you get to Parliament, um, it's in parties, uh, it's in pre selection. Processes, it's in cabinets. Um, and that's one thing that I see as a real problem for women getting into the system, or, you know, more importantly, staying in the system. If you, mm. Beth and I, you know, did a course and it was really interesting because we were the only two women in parties who were involved in this women for election workshop because all the other women had just sort of decided that independence was the only way to go. And I asked myself, so why would women who have to work harder to get more funding, more volunteers, you know, they've already got six jobs at home. We all know that. be children. Exactly. Yeah. Women's lives have structural impediments to them actually being a politician. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, why are these women going down the independent route? Why aren't they just waiting to get tapped on the shoulder and have some lovely big funded political party come and, you know, whoosh them into power? And that's because once you get in there, um, you know, you either – when you accept that support, you are then co-opted and complicit. Mm. Look at all the right-wing women who do nothing for supporting um, – Crumb maidens. Yeah, crumb maidens, we mm. call them. They do nothing for supporting the the absolute economic reality. You know, the Grattan Institute has proven $2 billion spent in the economy on free childcare solves a whole bunch of economic leverage problems. It's actually mechanical problems in the economy solved and we get $11 billion return. Now, there's only one reason that that is not the first economic port of call for any government, particularly this government. It's ideological. There is, it's evidence-based. It's economically prudent. It's, you know, it, it's capitalism. It's do it's the, the thing pa- that makes it's also you...
2: the patriarchy.
3: Well, but that's yeah. what I'm saying. It's the thing that makes you the most money. So if you're looking mm. at it in terms of, you know, um, you've got to say, why is that not something that is, is becoming legislative? Well, if legislative? it was capitalism,
2: you'd think that they would support women because if it's proven to make more money, yeah. you think that it would. So it can't be just capitalism. Right. It's the patriarchy. So, and, and it's wanting to support the patriarchal structures.
3: But what we found, I mean, Bethany found it, in the process of getting elected, you get this mm-hmm. kind of pushback And, you know, Beth as a very vocal and, and you know what it is What what attracts these people to Bethany Is she's fearless um, She just doesn't show any fear About speaking up and challenging And, you know, she doesn't go around Screeching at people mm-hmm. or calling them names Or, you know, being. she makes very strong statements And then when she won't back down When she does, she says No, that's what I believe and here's why You know, that sets off A whole bunch of kind of reactions reactions in people. I was lucky in that I was in part of a team, there were three, there was one man and two women and how bizarre, how funny, I, we didn't get any of that rubbish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I got the odd, weird mm-hmm. comment on Facebook, but, you know, relative to the amount of sort of vitriol that Beth got and I think that was about how much of a threat mm-hmm. I was in at my electorate, which is mm-hmm. zero. And clearly that this particular um, MLA, I think that they knew their numbers were a bit, mm-hmm rubbery, uh, they weren't solid and Beth was a threat, a political threat but you know, so so behave politically, have better ideas than Bethany say better things than Bethany Do better be a better person. That's right, do better campaigning than Bethany. So
2: my signs got stolen hand over fist, like I put out 68 signs and I retrieved 14. Uh, I had to put them out in two batches because the first lot nearly all disappeared and um, I, I just couldn't believe that they'd gone to that length mm. to try and sort of um, silence me or make me invisible but look what what, every time somebody went after me i would use that it just made me more stronger and more determined to to speak out and this is the thing um a lot of women won't get into politics because they don't like that bullying and the harassment and the nastiness and the vitriol that goes with it well see i don't like it either Uh, I I, my, I'd rather everyone just be really respectful and nice to each other but if that's not going to happen when people go after me I go after them even harder and I don't want to do it but I I won't be silenced and I think this is why I, I believe that the reason why the right the the toxic far right has been able to thrive and grow is because even though it's a very noble thing to say, when they go low, we go high, or you know, don't it, just ignore them. It actually doesn't work. It makes them stronger because by our silence, it is it, we are we we're basically saying to them it's okay to say that the nasty, bigoted, racist things that you're saying, and they're getting they they got stronger and stronger. And so for me, I um, while I think it's com- uh, it completely lacks class, and I don't like to have to do it. I go hard back at them, not in a personal nasty way, but I will go hard back at them. I expose them. I use my social media. Like yesterday, um, some man I've never heard of um, met me on Twitter, um, contacted me on Twitter and said... I, I, he said, I need to set you right. You you, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Meet me well, for he lunch. he wanted to mansplain to you, did he? <laughs> he wanted to mansplain to me, but he demanded that I meet him for lunch. And I said, well, <laughs> sure no. Might. I said, I'm quite happy with my views. I don't feel like I need to meet you for lunch. Anyway, <laughs> but then yesterday, so, so that must have been the day before. And then yesterday, he inferred that I was up with all the men in parliament, you know, hanging out with all the men, you know. He inferred that I was... Yeah. And I, so I retweeted him. I said, Are you slut shaming me? Are you, are you a man? You know, you, you, you didn't like that I didn't meet you at lunch. So now you're slut shaming me. And, um, and then I just stood back and let all my beautiful friends on Twitter just take him apart. (laughs) 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 But you know what it does? I'm I'm exposing them. I'm not going to just ignore them and hope that they go away. I want to expose them so that they, that people see the types of feet, you know, the, things that people say to women that I know that they don't say to men. Yeah. Um, you know, I have these exchanges all the time. Even on LinkedIn recently well, the, there was the one. Well, the problem was is,
3: is actually, um, and it's not even just getting volumes of women into parliament. I mean, uh, ACT has, has had parity uh, for a number of years. I think the last Legislative Assembly we had parity, which is fantastic. It's whether that does anything. So there's the first fight to get into the party. Then there's the second fight to get elected. And the problem, I think, is that the fight continues because the system is the issue. It's not necessarily individuals. And so women then are sidelined. You know, if a party helps them get elected, they have to stay in their factions. They have to stay in their caucus. They have to, you know basically trade political points today on childcare for promise of preferment tomorrow. Um, And Beth and I talk about the fact that, you know, once women get in, (coughs) oftentimes there's not all, you know, you're still hamstrung. Look at Penny Wong on the issue of same-sex marriage. Um, And because there's an intrinsic uh, sort of maleness about this sort of tribal political parties, women don't work like that we're very happy to be collaborative we've been conditioned whether we are personality wise in our own right if we didn't have any conditioning no matter where we are on the spectrum of collaborative versus competitive because women are, are like men we are a wide range um, from one to the other women are just conditioned we spend more time we're more educated mm-hmm. because it's our job is is nurturing everybody apparently so we're educated to listen to people and to collaborate with people and no matter how much much that might be against our own sort of individual tendencies. So this no, the way in which the party systems work um, and how women have to operate once they get there, it's just no wonder women give up because at every point there seems to be another hurdle, whether it's the beginning bit of getting, you know, harassed online um, to, to then Anne Rushton.
2: Anne Rushton, Anne yeah. Anne
3: Rushton the other day getting you know, somebody asked her opinion about the male culture in Parliament, and a man needed to step in and answer yeah. for her.
2: But it's also whenever women speak out, if women dare to have a voice and dare to speak out and challenge the patriarchy, they're punished. So this was evidenced by um, you would have probably seen the Four Corners report on oh Monday my night goodness. with Alla, about Alan Tudge and Christian Porter. Um, now a Q and A Q&A wo- as well. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, So a woman called Kathleen Foley, who's a barrister from you know, on the Victorian in the Victorian Bar, she was voted out after that. Now, I I rang and made a complaint yesterday and I was told that, oh, these votes have been open for two weeks. But see, the thing is Four Corners have been investigating that report for weeks. So Christian Porter would have known. And I would like to know the gender makeup of those 2,000 Mm -hmm. members of the Victorian Bar because I'd like to know how many are men. And I'd like to know if it was we we will never know but the optics of it are dreadful because it and all to all appearances she was voted out because she dared speak out Mm -hmm. against an entitled white predator and you know she was punished for it and we all are and this is completely unacceptable and this is the culture we have to try and change Mm. and this is what you know i'm really really passionate about it um a few years ago when I thought I wanted to get into politics, I went and met with um, Kate Carnell who, who, um, to get some advice on being in politics and her advice was that I probably won't get in if I don't have a particular issue like um, rates or um, you know development or something like that. I have to sort of be around but... I'm hoping that she's wrong because my issue is about integrity and about purpose and about changing the, the culture. And as as, as amazing feminist um, Mona El-Tahawi said it's not about women wanting to um, subjugate men or, or be better than them or have power over them. We just want freedom and we just want equality. quality I'm always striving for. And what men don't, many men in this patriarchal system, they don't see that we are women are always on the back foot. We don't have access to the same networks. We don't... It's just not the same. And while too many men they look and say, "Well, women these days do you have equality. What what what, what do you need feminism for?" We still need it because it's it's um, predators like Christian Porter and Alan Tudge that they, they, they demonstrate why we still mm. need feminism and, and and how Kathleen Foley mm. lost. Her well, position. look, I mean, it's
3: mathematical. There's fifty two percent of women of the population, and there's less than we're, we're sti- sinking on the OECD ladder. Uh, there's less than 21% representation in parliament across Australia. I mean, it's so there's so there's so patriarchy. There's there's two reasons for that. One is women are just not capable. So you know, please provide your scientific data for women not being capable of leadership, or because we're all you know rubbish, or there's something structural that you swear to God you can't see holding us back
2: well there is There is, and we say
3: we can see it but again men are like oh no but but you know you have to understand this and you have to understand that so beth and i have talked a lot about um about the you know how do we get around this um how do we like because because politics can be something that's um not necessarily the solution to the problem because if we if if we can't get into politics on our own terms, if we can't be representatives, and that's why I was going, going back to that sort of observation about how many independent women there are, if we can't get into politics and then continue to operate within our own, you know, sort of, our own rules. Yeah, moral structure uh, and, and and do the things we want to do for the reasons that we wanted to be there. If we're going to get sort of co-opted um, and sidelined and silenced about vocal support of um, proactive legislation to reduce this disadvantage, then you've got to, you know, I can see why women go, well, why would I even begin? Because just every hurdle gets higher. So Beth and I have been talking about this. How do we get around this? Like what do we do? What exactly is going to change things? I mean At one end of the spectrum, legislation. Legislation changes things. It changes the law. And and sometimes, you know, it's ahead of society and sometimes it's behind society. You'd never know with legislation. it's It it could be one or the other. Sometimes social change happens and then legislation follows. Sometimes really great advocates and activists get legislation changed and then society follows. So we've sort of been thinking about how, you know, politics affects women. And I've made – I sort of – I'm like, oh, there's so many advocates, all these women, all these people I talk to while I'm campaigning for the community who felt really strongly about really important things, the climate, um, you know, poverty, homelessness, disadvantage, um, sexism, ableism, all of those things. So many of them are women. And then when I sort of look at the people who are really kind of, you know, making the headlines and making waves and being fearless women so you've got activists and advocates predominantly women you know Rosie Batty people think about Rosie Batty and what she's put up with um what she's had to endure but she's still there you know and why she certainly doesn't get paid for it um and all these women that I meet in the community services sector as I sort of you know getting information about how do we solve these problems what kind of policies what kind of platforms so Beth and I were talking about the fact that it seems to us that women sort of look at politics, maybe have a go and then, you know, realise how hard it is and then they sort of end up becoming an activist if they decide the system sucks and they don't want to have a bar of it and they're going to spend their time throwing Molotov cocktails at it or they become an advocate if they decide that yes they do want to work within the system but you know what they don't want to do is power they're trying to use the government's money for good so we sort of looked at this at this range of talent across activists advocates and representatives and thought why aren't we all in the same room because we never are it's always these silos and of course women in advocacy who are running these amazing organizations i mean they're the most mm. entrepreneurial (laughs) like they would leave capitalists for dead they run these organizations with the highest levels of productivity on five dollars fifty you know they have incredible teams of people who would do anything for them because they're amazing leaders and all of this talent is trapped in this kind of area of of, you know the ceo of a community service is never trotted out for a ted talk right. They're not up there with Steve Jobs and, you know, all of these brilliant brains of capitalism. And so we kind of thought about the same with the activists, Mona Mm El-Tahawi. Mona El-Tahawi will never run for politics. Mm -hmm. You know, neither would Celeste Little, neither would Clementine Ford, Ford, neither would Nakia Mm Louie. So these are people who go, no way, you know, that system actually, um, it's out to get me. It's trying to to break me. There's no way I am going to try to come into the system and say, okay, I'll play by your rules because I think your rules are illegitimate so what we want to be able to do is get Get us all
2: together and we'll break the system that's that's pretty much (laughs) it's
3: kind of like that idea of sort of somehow of getting these silos and and what would be the focus what would be the thing that would motivate women who have been operating in these different systems with different rules to kind of come together um, so so we've kind of been thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Post-running post as sort of, you know, mm-hmm. official political um, candidates, what do we do next?
4: Yeah, yeah, look, just to break your flow, unfortunately. <laughs> 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 You've mentioned, um, you mentioned patriarchy a mm. number of times. Now, I don't know, that sort of makes me think of my dad and he's quite a nice bloke. <laughs> but well, what do you mean by patriarchy?
3: Well, look. The patriarchy um, is a, a system of, I suppose, it's it's a social hierarchy. Uh, it's been around for a long time. And if you kind of talk to anthropologists, uh, what sort of seems to have happened is as smaller groups got larger and you needed kind of better structures to actually organise and maintain, you know, civility um, in larger and larger groups of people, you've got to have some sort of, you know, sociological structure. Somewhere along the way, um, very early along very the way. Early very early along the way. You know, men obviously found that it was easier um, to kind of control the society. Well, look
2: at religion. I mean, the, in, the, in the Bible, sure. you know, with women, women Mary but, was but a But that's only, I mean, that's and... only
3: 2,000 years. You know, this probably goes <laughs> back before that. So there's a point at which um, social organisation started to, men kind of got, decided to get the upper hand, maybe through, you know, physical dominance, mm-hmm. uh, and then really started to organize everything so at the end of the day there's a benefit Um, there's kind of a deal that goes on with the patriarchy which is there's a whole bunch of seeming benefits if you do consider yourself at the end of the day superior because that's what it's based on it's based on the notion of men are better at all the things that involve public life power Government, religion, oh, and
2: private life as well. Men are just better than women across. The sure, board. sure,
3: but but that's the deal. Yeah. So 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 the public men get to be in control of everything, and and what they do is they have a deal with the private men. So the private men get to be king in their own home. They get to be ruler in their own homes, while ever they support the public man ruler. So it's this sort of a deal that that strikes a balance between public and private power for men. Um, and, you know, that has – we know it has economic benefits Well, look men. at marriage. Marriage is a social construct for no, – it was a property law. Were we were
2: chattel. We were there for
3: – Well, as well as husbandry,
2: property. right? Yeah. Oh, exactly. Husband, and, I mean, look at our language. Yeah.
3: You know, um, policeman, mm-hmm. fireman, you know, men standing in for everybody. And that really is at the crux. History. Well, well yeah. history. His story, exactly. <laughs> so that's the crux of the patriarchy is that man is the norm.
2: Mm. And so so it's
3: developed around this notion that man is a norm. So whatever man does or thinks is normal, everything else is other. And, of course, if you think about it, um, in dividing the population into two really simple black and white, and when people talk about binary, it's what they mean, two black and white groups, one group is in, and one group is out it's a whole lot easier than if you had one group trying to control 10 out groups now imagine if you know the the every day the the patriarchy group had to go to war on an equal footing with the disabled group the women group the you know the people of color group the the people from a different ethnic LGBT background group. Group. so mm-hmm. so it's all about maintaining that power balance by giving men saying oh all men have this special something and you can all be part of our club but you have to play by the rules and the rules are that yeah you you get to consider yourself a little bit superior um, and it's again it's not an individual choice it's actually a structural thing so boys are conditioned mm. boys are conditioned to that that you know they get to do whatever oh boys will be boys they don't have to be responsible for their behavior and girls have to be nurturers yeah but We're by the same token you know there are costs the patriarchy is an all being and Skittles for the blokes. The rates of suicide are horrendous. Depression. Uh, Depression. We we, we
1: studied that in mental health. Exactly.
3: Men's inability, because they haven't been trained to connect with their emotions, is costly. Mm -hmm. So whilst the patriarchy is economically costly and emotionally costly to women, it's also economically and emotionally costly to men. Um, And so it's a system that really, at the end of the day, the ultimate benefit comes down to about 2% of the population. Really, the patriarchs are not your lovely dad. Mm -hmm. The patriarchs are Rupert Murdoch. The patriarchs are Donald Trump. Exactly.
2: Christian Porter and Alan Tosh. Yeah, because they're the
3: patriarchs. That's right. And what Mm -hmm. they will do is they will hold on to power at all costs. They will discriminate and disadvantage everybody and support anybody who will do that on their behalf. Um, And Mona El-Tahawi, who is a big favourite of both Beth and mine, uh, she's an amazing activist. She's Egyptian. She's lived in the UK. She's lived in the States. And she has this notion of the patriarchy mm. as an octopus. And so it's Beep. it's a system of power that is supported by um, the legs. So if you imagine the head's the patriarchy, right, that's the kind of the brain's trust. And all of these uh, different ways of discriminating against people only feed into this reductive group of powerful people. So you've got misogyny as one of the tentacle, t- tentacles. Capitalism. Capitalism is basically based on exploitation. So if you've got people that you have power over, you've got more chance to exploit them. Why are women paid less? Capitalism. Hmm. Why, you know, uh, teenagers and young people, you know, you get into a capitalist system and they're exploited, they're casualized. they're not told their rights, they're, they're, they're stolen from. Um So the capitalism is one of the tentacles of the octopus. Um, So misogyny, you know, racism, homophobia, all of those different things diminish and disempower different segments of the community. And so they're all kind of, and, and sometimes what happens is they all fight each other. They're so focused on trying to get, you know, comparative power that they don't get together. And this is sort of what Beth and I are seeing, that, you know, within women we have, there are women who say, I'm not a feminist, I don't need to be <laughs> a feminist. And then there are women who are feminists going, you're kidding me. <laughs> so the term the crumb maiden that
2: Peter and I mentioned before, <laughs> um, we listened to a to an interview with Mona el and um, Mona described women who... Um, who f- they basically support the patriarchy by accepting it. So we, we see a lot of these women, um, for example, Julie Bishop um, and other women in the Liberal Party in particular. They they're, they're not feminists, and and they they support the patriarchy. The status quo. But what Mona mm. Mona describes them as, as they're, they're, they accept the crumbs of the patriarchy. So they they. Their, their power is only there because the patriarchy throws them mm. those crumbs. So that's where Peter Peter coined the term "crumb maidens," and that's what we're sort of we mm. use to describe these women mm. because they're actually they they're, they're upholding
3: the patriarchy. And look, the thing about Scotty's dad is that like you know he's an individual, so none of this is about individuals. Mm. I mean. I've given birth to men. I love men. I grew up with men. I have no problem with men. Um, it's actually the system, the system yeah. that kind of gives men, there's no way out of the deal, right? You are conditioned as a boy. And women, so so if you think about it, women, um, if their only power is relative to their proximity to a man, then women are conditioned to support Sort of their own survival, empowerment, whatever, through supporting men. And this is where you get this internalized misogyny. That's Mm -hmm. what that means. It doesn't mean that I, you know, hate myself. What it means is that I believe that I am not as capable of ruling um, or leading. I believe I am hysterical. I believe, and I believe other women are emotional. I mean, you've got someone like Peter Credlin, okay? She's the perfect example of what I would call a crumb maiden. She really thinks that every Every day she goes out and disempowers and um, actually attacks strong feminist voices that she's somehow getting more points on the patriarchy board that one day she will get her golden reward. Julie Bishop is somebody who spent her entire life supporting conservative white men doing everything that they wanted her to do. She was slim. She was brown. She looked terrific in pearls. She was incredibly well spoken. She was effective at her job. She wasn't just a very you know nice package. She was smart and she was clever and she worked her guts out And the day she was, you know, turned up to the office for her reward, for her promotion to Prime Minister, what she got was a stab in the back and a see you later. So she thought that, you know, every day Mm. she was working, supporting things that went against women that didn't support, um, you know, equality. And this is the problem. The patriarchy will never, ever give women a go. Women will always get basically, they'll never, the always the bridesmaid and never the bride. They'll never be allowed, you know, they're, they're rarely allowed into the kind of corridors of power because, of course, once 52% of women get to uh, actually write and and enact legislation, imagine what a different world it would be. Mm. Imagine the money that we wouldn't be spending on bombs. Imagine the money we wouldn't be spending in war. Imagine the money we would be ploughing into the environment because, you know, our children, I mean, we touched on this before, Scotty, when we came in and talked about it, the world, the economy... Would be so much women would, you know, women oftentimes in business and certainly, you know, having worked with women in business, I see women much more driven by purpose, not profit. Um, So we're not really good for capitalism and the accrual, the accretion or the collection of the concentration of money in small places. Women don't really work like that. So women women work as a cooperative. That's directly. right. They're it's, a cooperative it, model. And we
2: think we're always model. thinking of others. Yes. And, yeah. yeah.
3: And and so, you know, look, it's really complex. And I mean, what is the patriarchy? There's so many different examples of it. But What people have to remember is it's systemic and it's structural. And there is no one individual who has the responsibility to bring the whole thing down. That's not going to happen. Every one of us is affected by and has an effect on the patriarchy Mm -hmm. because it's a system which is supported by the status quo and, you know, by those people who want to continually work for their own individual benefit. And that's why it's so well entrenched because once you get money and you get power and you want to keep things the way you like them, like Rupert Murdoch, you can. You can be one individual pulling the strings across this world, to keep coal-fired po- power stations open, um, to keep children enslaved in factories. You can keep all of that stuff with your power and your money. And so we want, we want attack the patriarchy because the patriarchy is keeping women's voices away from that table. It's keeping women yep. away from legislation. And until we get women enacting legislation, um, so many of these structural protections are just not going to be put in place. So we'll continue. You know, we, we've had the vote for so long. Um, but look
1: at what happened to get the vote and look at the yeah. violence done to the women who were trying to yeah, get the yeah. vote. I mean, that just goes back to what you were talking about, which is how dare you
3: take up space? Mm-mm. How dare you have... Yeah, get out of the way. You're taking out space. So one Mm -hmm. of the things that's really interesting is in two thousand and fourteen, Tony Abbott dropped so in nineteen eighty four we had all of the sort of ERA fight, so the Equal Rights Amendment fight um, Gloria Steinem uh, in the US, uh, and so states were coming online and everybody's thinking about equal rights and how it you know, how it w- was or wasn't in their constitutions. We had uh, Gough Whitlam start a lot of stuff. Um, Malcolm Fraser, to his credit, continue a lot of stuff. And then you had Bob Hawke really driving the Office of Women. So he started a thing that became economically known as a way to ensure that we didn't continue to embed structural disadvantage in the way that we spend our money as a government and it's called gendered budgeting so what it does is it looks at because again if patriarchy is about the man being the norm all of this legislation was okay well if we give them a tax cut here they'll spend it there but they weren't saying well what how do women spend their money how do men spend their money they just assumed that men spent the money So as families have changed and women, you know, and and marriages and different sorts of marriages, all of a sudden you have to, men are no longer the norm head of this nuclear household with a nine to five job, you know, with four weeks of holiday a year with an average income of X. That doesn't exist anymore. And so in the 80s, they started this gendered budgeting. So it it was actually convention. It's not really legislated anywhere. And it was agreed that we would look for disadvantage when we made budgetary decisions. That was happening until 2014. And guess who? Our esteemed Minister for Women, Tony Abbott, of the Onion and the Ironing Board, (laughs) he was the one who actually just took said, no, we're not doing this anymore. And there's no legislation to enforce it. There was nothing to stop him from... And nobody noticed, uh, except the OECD, because we have dropped something like... 20 odd places in the equality. And so that one decision has this massive effect. So none of the departments are now directed to consider gendered budgeting. And when and, and look what's happened, we've now got to this She session. We have now a situation where tax cuts, okay, we only got the first and second. Round the third round is still in abeyance until it's legislated. Will be brought forward, you know, once it does, because it will be. But that's where men get two dollars twenty eight, and women get a dollar. Again, it's science, it's fact, it's maths, and that. Is absolutely a, a direct result of Tony Abbott saying we don't need gendered budgeting. So it's not about giving women more, it's just making sure that you don't continue to entrench this structural disadvantage.
2: Well, there, there can be evidence too by the article you sent me yesterday, Peter, in The Guardian, about how the um, COVID has affected university. Um, and university spots have dropped, uh, men have dropped out by about 21,000, but women have dropped out by about 86,000. It's really uh, disproportionately
3: mm. affected women. Well, you're See, because capitalism wasn't ready for COVID, so COVID's affected capitalism in in a way that's shown up all these cracks. About you know, it, it's all based on merit and it's all based on working hard. And well, it's not, because if you don't have the community to support, right? If so, if those women are taken out of action because they're homeschooling and um, you know, basically they're no longer being sort of you know used in our economy as cheap labour. Um, you see the effects. You see the disproportionate disadvantage, like all in one big boom. You know, before it was easy to argue it away, um, to pretend it wasn't there, make up a whole bunch of other excuses, like, oh, women just they just don't want promotion. They just don't. You know, they don't want this. They they're not good for that. They're it doesn't choosing suit Choosing to stay home. Oh yes, work choosing. Time. I love that. See, that's they're the patriarchy using. Uh, its form of discrimination and giving it another name as choosing and then blaming us, making it like we had this choice in a system that we didn't design, that doesn't consider us, that does every every opportunity, it will it will keep mm-hmm. us out of the loop. And it, when people sort of say, oh, Peter, oh, you know, this big conspiracy theory you've got about the patriarchy, I'm like, okay, women have had a hundred, vote for over 100 years. Why are we not 52% in the parliament? Why not? How come Justin Trudeau can... Uh, basically appoint a 50% cabinet, his cabinet in 2016, was it? 2014. 2014, 50% women. Oh, you know, Prime Minister Trudeau. Why? Why do you have a cabinet of 50% women? His best answer ever. 2014. That's why <laughs> that's all oh the answer God. he
1: needed. And Ministers of color and absolutely. Yeah. and yeah. and, and look at, Canada plans? has
3: continued to, mm. you know lead the world in some social reforms. He has continued to be a very effective um and, you know, a prime minister who's been re-elected. Mm. So and really basically was saying, um that was their one overriding qualification mm-hmm. and it's worked really well and that's a legacy that you know will be really hard to sort of uh to to kind of roll back whereas you continue to have our conservative politicians using the merit oh, argument
2: don't get me started on that this is an <laughs> argument i have all the time this merit principle because the, you the, they, me explain the merit principle to well, us well the merit so. principle is, is 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 when when we talk about maybe the potential of having quotas a a lot of men will come out and say well it should be based on merit because if you have quotas you're discriminating against men should be the
3: best person for the job the best person
2: for the job but but clearly um there's so much mediocrity in leadership Mm. if it was if merit was (laughs) considered there would be um probably more women than there are men in government and in leadership positions but there's not because merit to men merit to the patriarchy is just picking mirror images of themselves and it's not choosing people best on. Their, mm. on their skills and abilities.
3: Well, it's also, it's, it makes this big assumption that everybody just goes, oh, yes, yes, until you start picking it apart, that it's a level playing field. Mm. It's not. It's not. I mean, you know, if I have joked for years, and then uh, I love the fact that um, Annabelle Crab wrote a book called The Wife Drought, I've joked for years, oh, if I only had a wife, oh, no. I'd rule the world. Um, so, you know, women don't have that, that uh, same um, ability to come to the playing field level, just from a practical point of view, let alone an attitudinal point of view, because you do have men who will, in their language, still display these attitudes. Um, And I mean, your dad might have said lots of things that make me bristle and you go, oh gosh, you know, like your dad might have wanted to open the door for me. Your dad might have wanted to protect me. Your dad might have wanted to feel that, you know, it was his job to look after women. And of course... It would sound really churlish of me to say, well, Scotty's dad thanks very much, but, you know, like <laughs> you're being a patriarch. But the truth is, if you if you dig down, what does that mean? What it's suggesting is that women are weaker. Women need somebody Less to look capable. after them. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And so it's not about the men's gorgeous willingness, which is a lovely social aspiration to help everybody and look after everybody when they need it. But the assumption is you're a woman. You need need help. You're a woman, you need protection. Not you're a woman, you get to choose to ask for protection. You're a woman, you get to choose to ask for help. So there's always this assumption that someone else knows better than a woman Mm -hmm. and it feeds into the notions of consent, right? So we don't have positive consent in our legislation. We do not have a description of a woman having to say yes, please. A woman has to prove that she said no. A man doesn't have to prove she said, yes, please. Mm -hmm. And so this is the same part of this notion of of paternalism, which is part of the patriarchy, that women need protection. Well, we don't. You give us an equal opportunity, an equal power, and we'll do just fine, Mm -hmm. thanks very much. And when we don't, we'll ask for your help. Mm -hmm. But we don't want you to assume it from the outset because you are already disempowering us. You are all right. and that's what mansplaining is. Yeah. I was just going to say that. It's what yeah. man interruptions are. It's about saying, "Oh, oh, oh let me, I, I'll, I'll just fix that for you," and it's not giving. You're not as a, as a man. You're not letting a woman make a choice to ask for help or to say that she needs your assistance. So the patriarchy is very clever because it has a whole bunch of sort of social uh, rules that that are um, actually couched in terms of politeness. Uh, modesty. They're things that we're taught are actually uh, are positives, but mm. for women they have an underlying disempowerment. Mm. Because it's saying that we're not actually free to choose to be powerful. We have to ask someone's permission to be yeah. powerful. Um and because at the end of the day that seems to that what 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 the norm says is that's an abnormal state for a woman to be in public. And in power The woman's normal state is to be um, In service And and in the home In Mm. a domestic situation And this is where politics This is where that That kind of um ingrained and again it's not men's fault they're not out to get us but there's an ingrained conditioning that that sets off this notion of they get worried about us they're worried about our being in public because it's dangerous for women that notion
2: well look at what Scott Morrison said a few years ago so i can't remember the exact words but it was basically that um it's okay for women to rise up but not at the expense oh, of exactly. men oh exactly that's right you know
3: so you you, well, can, no, he, you can be equal but as long as no men well, no, no, he didn't he stopped himself he He didn't even say men. He said not at the expense of... Others, others, others. <laughs> so he didn't want. He realised if he said His women PR and men, but see, this was is yeah, up on the That's right, someone's going like,
2: no. But <laughs> to achieve gender equality, a, a lot of mediocre men are going to have to step down for the amazing women that are going to step up because that—that's what it's going to mean. It's going to mean a lot of men are going to miss out, and just just for the mere fact that they're men, they're not going to have their power and their status anymore. And that's <laughs> and that's a problem for a lot of men because the only reason they've got any power in society or status at all is simply because they're men, not because they're decent human
3: beings. And, and look, the problem, again, this is where the capitalism and patriarchy are, like, holding hands. You know, what happens is, is, is you sort of take public office but then you behave like a capitalist. Um, I mean, you know, Gladys, Gladys Berejiklian's boyfriend, uh, he's going, oh, great, my you know, Gladys, my girlfriend's the boss so I'm just going to sneak a few little deals past her because, you know, she's got the power and why wouldn't I use my public office to make money? Um, Even, and if you think about that, so, you know, there's a sort of a capitalism, there's a profit... um kind of motive in politics is not necessarily money so what christian porter is doing is he's getting a profit by basically getting to have as many girlfriends as he likes in canberra and having that sort of so you know amongst his fellow ministers getting the cachet of having the prettiest smartest ones on his arm at the winter ball you know that young woman said on four corners she she said i went into we were going together and i wanted to hang back because she's like oh my god we're having an affair the last thing we want to do is push it in people's faces oh no minister porter alan tudge sorry wanted her on his arm you Mm -hmm. know and so same with christian porter he's quite happy to see to be seen in public in the public bar Mm -hmm. with young women because that's that affords him yes that's 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 that sort of capitalism of power and if
1: a female minister were to do that what would happen well well
3: you know it's interesting so gladys the the what happened with gladys was very interesting so Basically, she then got painted as the oh, but he'd lost everything, and I was being like, basically, I his emotional so rescue loves. dog. <laughs> so Gladys, oh, but because she's sort of emotional and caring and nurturing, she's not this kind of take no prisoners because that that's a man, you know. Too bad, I do what I want. That's not that wasn't Gladys's kind of like narrative. Her spin doctors came up with the oh, but you know. Glad he had no one else. No one else in the world. I'm sorry, she's a premier. She is a powerful person. Her first responsibility is to the state. And yet that's they knew the way to get her out of that predicament and the really bad and maybe criminal choices, who knows? Wait till she gets in front of ICAC if that ever happens. But they knew that the thing to do was to paint Gladys as the sort of weak, Damsel emotional one who yeah. had to help him. So somehow he's a crim um, and he's about to get indicted. Everybody's dropped him like a hot potato, but it's Gladys's premier, Gladys Berejiglian, premier of New South Wales, leader of, you know, millions of people. It's her job to be his emotional rescue dog. You know, see, no one would ever try and push that story when it came but to a so man. But it's
2: so frustrating. It's it's really clear to see the difference. To men and women, how they're treated when they when they do slip up. I mean, look—is it Christine Holgate in in the Australia Post? Is that a name? <laughs> oh yeah, yes. yeah. Like yeah. obviously, she she did a pretty. Um, it didn't pass the pub test, mm-hmm. but in the scale of all the stuff that yeah. they're Oh, Christine in the scale of land capture values.
1: Yeah. Oh, I know, I know. And you know, and and know the, well, the
3: other thing. This that, is yeah. why we need to get yeah. more women. Is because whenever one woman makes a mistake, because women aren't perfect, and they're a bunch of mediocre women. Yep. When one woman makes a mistake, and this is how you kind of, you know, this is one of the biggest definitions of sexism I see. She stands in. For all women, and she's made an example of all women. She's that Eve. Of yeah. That's right. right. See why we don't have women in power. Yeah. See why women don't make good CEOs. Mm. See why. Whereas you know you get man making mistake. Well, first of all, everyone will go blue in the face, and they'd rather chew their own arm off than admit that he made a mistake. Mm. They will all rally around him. Um, and then then it was just oh well people make mistakes move on
2: you oh, know oh, how human many frailty what well, yeah. is it Christian Porter and Alan Tudge human, human frailty, frailty I mean, Scott
3: Morrison said well <laughs> how many times has Scott morrison trotted out human frailty
4: yeah look so you're you're, um you're talking about this patriarchy thing and yeah i've been looking at what the state is and i can't find a good definition so i had to make one up and i reckon the state is the top in top down it's just a group of people who are at the top be it business or or politics or whatever and that's pretty much what you're describing. Oh,
3: absolutely. The patriarchy is the flavour of the state. Yeah. Now, if we had, uh, I mean, you know, so say we had a more socialist state. The thing about that is, is that, look, there's not. it's not that there isn't the patriarchy in Scandinavian countries but what they've recognised is that you kind of have to legislate. Look, social behaviour is ingrained. It is like concrete. It takes a long time to chip that stuff out and you can't do it overnight. So you've got um, socialist states that actually recognise this sort of unholy nexus between the patriarchy and capitalism and what they do is they legislate to sort of, you know, temper the worst effects of disadvantage, to temper the worst effects of, you know, the us and them. Because sort of sociological studies show that it's not the actual um, absolute amount of money that you earn when it's rich and poor. What creates social unrest and what creates all of the worst social problems that we have? Because that's why we go on about it. It's not because Beth and I have decided that our job is to be, you know, patriarchal warriors because, like, we want shields or, or you know, or, or trophies. It's because the patriarchy is the place that we have to attack, to attack at its root these social problems. So when you've got a socialist government or a socialist state, they've recognised that you need to hold capitalism down and you need to hold patriarchy down because unchecked they will rise Mm. and you get this massive differential between the richest and the poorest and what sociologists know is it's actually the gap. It's the lack of hope of the people at the bottom that they will ever have a chance to improve their lot, um, and the sort of messages that they're given, like women, that it's just you're you're women, you're this race, you're from this background, you're this religion, that defines you, and you, there's there's no you know you're lesser simply because of that. So I agree with you. The state is, and the patriarchy is the state and if you think about the constitution of America one of the most modern constitutions of course it was written by rich white men who wanted to leave England so they could start their own aristocracy you know there's no there's there's no doubt about the constitution saying you can vote but only if you own property so you know the most democratic place in the world still has the patriarchy actually embedded in its own declaration of freedom and independence well it wasn't freedom for all it was for all of those people that we consider people was it was for white men yeah
4: For society.
3: Society. And, again, if you go back to your idea of the state, that's who the state was. The state was a bunch of rich plantation owners. Um, And, you know, we're seeing a lot of the sort of deals that were done uh, after emancipation and after the um, Civil War, a lot of the social sort of um, pressure that came to bear. Even though we had all of these laws on one hand, you had all of that social, capitalistic and economic pressure to sort of, you know, re-enslave African-Americans through the penal system. We couldn't do it legally anymore, so we made them into criminals, we put them into prisons and then we sent them back to the tobacco farms. Um, So, you know, the, 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 the state is a very complex thing. It's not just the laws. It's also those social... Yeah, convention.
4: yeah, absolutely, and, and you know, I've got my own theory of, of this. Instead of calling it patriarchy, I'm calling it psychopathy, because <laughs> uh, um, uh, you look at the you look at the um, the list of things that you need to uh, to become a psychopath. You need to score high on, on, on glibness and superficial charm, uh, grandiose sense of self worth, path- the pathological lying. Being conning, manipulative
2: Sounds like the LMP. A lack, yeah. of, a
4: lack of remorse or guilt uh, yep. a Shallow emotions Callous Lack of empathy Failure to accept responsibility <laughs> Need for stimulation So, you know, there might be adrenaline junkies Going in front of the media uh, Parasitic lifestyle oh, Wow No realistic long-term goals Impulsive Irresponsible <laughs> Poor behavioural controls <laughs> What are you? What are you uh, saying here, Scotty? And, 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 right there and, and you're criminal, criminal versatility. No, wow. this is this is the this is That's, the, the DSM, is the the DSM. Yeah, is the the DSM. criteria yeah, for a psychopath. Yeah, yeah. And wow! So
2: you look at you have to send me that after the show. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> so you look at it's by a bloke called Robert Hare. Um, it's not in the DSM. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's actually is... a diagnostic thing, and <laughs> this totally fits.
2: It does <laughs> those people
4: in the patriarchy. Now you look at. Where our whole system has come from, where this patriarchy has come from, it started. I mean, in our sort of iteration of it, not the Romans, but it it became. well probably Babylon. Was, was,
2: was the ancient Greeks? The kings I mean, and they, the nobles. You don't hear of it yeah. well, women. But our
4: particular legal system, the kings and the nobles exactly. negotiated parliament. Then they wrote all the laws well, and right. the yep. courts, and everything has come out of these guys who thought it was cool to put people in dungeons yeah. to keep yeah. control, uh, exactly. who had chateau marriage, who owned their women. So.
3: But also, can we have an
4: institutionalized system of psychopathy? Oh, you know, yeah, I do. I yeah. don't
3: disagree. Mm. I mean, and you know what it's done is it's also de- defined masculinity to a yeah. certain extent yep. as mm. psychopathy. Absolutely. So yep. then, yep. if you're the a culture, right? So there are lots of guys that go, I don't like this. But where else have I got to go? Yeah, and that's um, why I think we're a lot <laughs> of the mental health And well, because again, like Beth was saying, that women are punished for challenging. So. So are men. So, you know, when we talk about bystanders, there are a whole bunch of men who probably are watching a whole bunch of stuff that they do not like, but they're co-opted because, you know, they've got this choice. So you can be bullied, disempowered, chucked out of the tribe, you know, mm-hmm. isolated, um, ostracized, or you can just go with the flow. So you've got this constant bind every day for people to make but non-psychopathic it is, choices. It
2: is really heartening to see. Um, I, I see a lot on social media, um, on Twitter where I've got engaged with people regularly, um, a lot of men, yeah. a lot of men We're and a lot of see. older men too. They, they're on board. They're feminists, you know, and, and they do stand up for women. And um, I, so that gives me a lot of hope mm. that we are slowly changing the, the thought structures of people. That feminism isn't this nasty word. We're not, you know, feminists well, trying humanism. destroy men. Yeah.
3: I think of it as humanism. It's about mm. um, giving everybody, you know, the respect that they're due to be human and to sort of highlight this psychopathy. Because again, we go back to capitalism, why it's so important to the patriarchy is that unfortunately, most of those traits that you just named out, um, they're actually rewarded with dollars. Mm-hmm. So this is mm. the problem. So again, If people believe that their ability to earn money and feed their family and pay their mortgage is going to be affected by their refusal to act out those behaviours or support those behaviours again, they—that's not a free choice. When financially you have to work within a system, you have to support psychopathic bosses, you have to support bullying colleagues, and this is where um, you know psychopaths will use any advantage they've got, and and, you know sexism is one of them. So. It's 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 a conundrum. It's not simple. Um, It's really tricky. And, of course, what we all have to remember is that it's the 2% psychopaths who are the only people that actually get a good deal out of this. Mm. The rest of us might win a little here, but we lose a lot there. Women, it's sort of having our voices heard and having our lives considered as equal. And men, it's very much, you know, look how um, obviously the patriarchy, it, it kills men it makes them sick, it makes them depressed, it makes them anxious and it gives them the highest rates of suicide and also dislocation from their families, inability to have relationships with their children, all of these things which are heartbreaking and not their fault. It's not their individual fault in many cases. So this is why, you know, we have to figure out how do we chip at the structure, not just fight as little individual activists.
4: Well why don't we just create another structure? Because it's taken us thousands and hundreds of years to chip away. Yeah. What a I mean, great it's not like, <laughs> since, since Parliament started mm. with the no- nobles and the kings, mm. We've had, we as people, as normal mugs on the street, yeah. have had to fight and, and yeah. die and spill blood this is and the whole point, fight Scotty. the police and the military yeah. even again and again and again. And we only just got votes for women. We
2: need a different structure. Ago. And that, that, you've hit the nail on the head. It, we need to create a different structure. We've got to start doing that by bringing more diversity. So it's not just more women. We do need 52 well, equal representation of women in parliament and in, in private um, leadership as well but we need diverse diversity we need people of color better represented and and disabled people and we need lgbti oh, first, first nations first Na- oh gosh yes first nations we need we, we need to do a lot of work there but we need to create a new structure and that's why um, when we talked about why we need to dismantle the patriarchy coming back full circle to that that's why we need to dismantle it because while the patriarchy exists Anyone who's oppressed by the patriarchy will never have a voice and never have freedom. So by, by just gently, we've, the, it's, it's a tricky thing because it's so threatening to the men who benefit from the patriarchy, the thought of, of losing any of their power and entitlement. Because it's all they've ever known, and because it's all of, all they've ever known, they think that if if those who are oppressed rise up, they will then seek to have power and entitlement over over these white entitled men, which is not mm. how yeah, it's going to be. They,
3: they isn't what's that quote? They're worried that if women get into power, we'll do to them what, what they've they done to us.
2: Yes. <laughs> but it's not what we want to do. Just how so they understand. I yeah. I personally um one of my um big dreams is is getting more women into politics. I wanna get into it myself. Um I wanna dismantle I- I want to help to dis- be part of something that dis- dismantles this system and we've got to do it politically so we can get more women involved mm-hmm. in legislating um, and we've got to call out the bad behaviour when we see it and we've we've got to, there's so much work we've got to do but I, be- I do think it is achievable for us to do it. Um, we've just got to create the structures um, on the ground level for it to happen. Peter and I have been talking about an initiative that it's just a concept at the moment. But I'll let, I'll let Peter talk about it more. She's got better words than me.
3: Well, we we sort of thought about, you know, all these women who are kept apart, you know, we've got women running in political parties and the the sort of, I, uh, the thing that seemed to keep women apart was this idea of a political position, left, right, green, middle, centre, whatever. And that seems to, um, unfortunately for some women, it just seems to shut down the women's discussion. It seems to somehow they again they have to do these deals where they won't be radical feminists, um, won't be talking about women all the time. Wait their turn, you know, get rewarded somewhere down the line in the afterlife. I'm not sure where. When well, they come back as a man. Oh, exactly. When we come back as a man. Good <laughs> point, Zena. So what I've been thinking about is, um, I think women have started to see, particularly with the pandemic. You know, women have seen women. Women have seen women like themselves on the Centrelink queue. Women have seen women who we've all sort of said, "Oh, well, we're too smart to get unemployed," or we, "We've got a really good job because we work really hard." When something like the pandemic comes out along, and it exposes this system that has people living in this precarity, and there is not, there's not a safety net for women. It's just too bad that you know you're no longer that valuable to to capitalism. You have to lose your job. You have to stay at home and look after the children. You get no choice so the idea is to actually kind of appeal to women on a non-political basis Um, and it's actually about a practical um, so it's not making feminism left or right and it's not it's not even about feminism it's about women who want to change things in their community and so it's actually bringing women together and we sort of, I sort of thought about this idea as a union. Now, not in the, you know, lefty, warfies, sort of, yeah. you know, CFMEU kind of a way, no thank you, but a union of like the states of women. So it's a federation of women who have a bunch of different you know, attitudes to business, a bunch of different attitudes to social norms, a bunch of different attitudes. But there are going to be some foundation principles on which we all agree, which we need more of us, whether we're left-leaning or right-leaning in where decisions are made. It's about decisions. So I think if we talk to women no longer about power, I think the power is the thing that men want to hang on to. And then women don't, then just not that committed to power. What we are committed to is different decisions. So I've sort of thought about this idea of kind of bringing women um, from activist backgrounds, um, advocacy backgrounds, representative backgrounds, business backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and to kind of come and figure out what it is we have in common and just concentrate on that. Um, and for example, um, coercive control is, is is something that there's more legislation. It's really important because so much domestic violence goes un, without consequence because um, it's not. There's actually not laws written to deal with choking, for example. So choking can be incredibly damaging. Uh, women who have been in domestic violent situations where they've been continually choked, they might have a red mark on their neck and people are like, oh, you know, come off it. That's no big deal. Like, you didn't really hurt you. But they've actually had their larynx crushed. They've actually had their blood supply stopped for seconds. These women have a huge incidence of having brain aneurysms, of actually dying of brain damage. Now, there is nothing in the law that actually will, there's no consequence or charge for choking that reflects its seriousness and the fact that it's oftentimes a penultimate act before an intimate partner kills a woman. Choking is one of the biggest indicators that there could be homicide down the line. So coercive control actually recognizes those sorts of behaviors and the pattern of behavior um, as, as violence has become more um uh, understood and people have recognized it and you have mandatory reporting in a whole bunch of different areas the level of violence during the pandemic in domestic violence dropped physical violence dropped the level of financial violence went up and emotional violence went up so coercive control is a thing that recognizes that control behavior control um And domestic abuse is not just violence. There's a whole bunch of things that go together. So before you had to deal with one thing and another thing and it was very difficult. So a lot of times women couldn't bring custodial sentences against abusers and they had to go back to their domestic situations and they end up dead. So the Women's Union, for example, is something where we could all work together. Activists could go and activate and um, advocates could go and advocate, representatives could represent, but we're all working towards this piece of legislation that would significantly and materially change the most disadvantaged women's lives like right now because it's a piece of legislation that women really understand but men don't. And if they're the ones in the room, they don't know. There's not enough of them that have been in that situation that understand. So the idea is to create a structure that doesn't expect women to go into political parties and act as political operatives first. It actually is a structure that creates a voice, a platform and an action for women about women that doesn't need to tap out or supersede your political position. Does that make sense?
4: Yeah, look, it's reminding me a lot of (coughs) Aboriginal culture where they've recognised that there's differences between the way that men and women operate. And so they've got a women's council, essentially, and a men's council, and they've got to agree on what to do. Um yeah and the other thing it was reminding me of was the the indoir method um, yeah. Over in, over for yeah. for Indi, yeah. Well,
3: well, Ruth McGowan was the person, she's our, one of our mentors, and so we did her Women for Election with Lysia Heath, who was a Wentworth candidate. Um, and her sister, of course, is Cathy McGowan. And I was on a fascinating uh, panel discussion, well, it was just Cathy, really, and she talked about the ways in which she did actually make change in Parliament. Um, and it was really interesting because, you know, Beth was talking about when they come at you, you know, Know, sort of like there is a level at which you do need to respond but kathy was talking about actually innovating ways that nobody had ever done in parliament before that that changed the nature of the place just the way she went instead of this competitive adversarial Sort of environment, she went out and reached out to a whole bunch of other um, representatives and had was able to have conversations and able to form alliances long before decisions were made. And so she had created this little collaborative thing, which was fantastic. The other thing I absolutely loved, she brought young people. So there were a couple of young people in the council in um, whatever her town was. Um, in the seat of Indi. Sorry, Kathy, I've forgotten. And so she brought them to Canberra to be her office staff. So she gave them this fantastic experience. So once again, she wasn't afraid of how that might affect her performance as a political performer and, you know, I might lose, I might not be seen as powerful and gutsy and whatever else and hard. No, she's like, I'm going to bring these two 20-year-olds who are back working in th- at the local council level. They're going to learn immeasurable amounts of stuff. I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to have to take things slow. I'm not going to be able to drive everything because I'm supporting these people. So, again, this is this brilliant innovation. Only a woman would think of this to bring her little tribe with her so they learn something, she learns something. And imagine if every second person in parliament was doing that kind of thing. So we could completely disrupt this um, toxic, competitive, uh, conflict-based, domination-based, you know, always adversarial sort of way of doing things, um, we could actually sort of completely subvert that. But we need to get women into parliament. And it sort of seems like we need to get independent women into parliament. But that is so hard. She had, a, a, she had um, Sophie Mirabella That was her issue. That's how she got in. She got in because people hated Sophie Mirabella. Now, if we women have to wait, and it's the same with Zali Stegall, if we have to wait for the most hated despot before we get elected, you know, like we'll only ever have three of us there. Do you know what I mean? So we've got to find another way of getting in. So we need to to bring it back to not just being, giving this individual woman the responsibility of, breaking down the paper and it is
2: really... Sorry, I'll just sort of say it is... There are so many barriers to um, women getting into politics. As as we sort of talked about earlier, there's the financial barriers as well. There's the family home life barriers and, and there's you know so it's addressing those barriers as well politics has become something that only if if you're network you're wealthy you're in top you know networked that you can get into and it's really hard for good decent normal people to get Mm. into politics now Kathy McGowan she had a great structure around her and that that set a precedent for there's different voices of um all these different places around Australia but that that will only work in certain areas and It's going to be very, very difficult to change the system from that perspective because um, the party structure is so entrenched and so it's just hard to change because for independents and minor parties, it's it's almost impossible. It's kind of
3: one thing at a time. I mean, in terms of the women's union, like I think that there's women, a lot more women have become politically activated, politically engaged. I mean, look at the states. Record numbers of voters. More people voted than... Look at
1: Finland. What's happened? All
3: female government. Yeah. Well, exactly. So there is there, and, and you've got Jacinda Ardern that's not going anywhere anytime soon. You've got absolute evidence that, and, and Angela Merkel, women deal with these things when it comes to community, when it comes to creating and keeping that fabric of society together. On which capitalism, because if society's stuffed, capitalism is too. It, it You know, it is parasitical, but there's a point at which it will no longer be um, supportable. So, you you there are actually, there's changes coming, but I think that the, Um, with the Women's Union, what I'd like to see is we sort of get galvanised around some of those big legislative issues and make some changes there, which then makes everything easier. Um, Then I think that there is really a big job to kind of go and, and have a look at political parties, see what it is, try and unpick What is happening there to either stop women from getting in or when they get in, say, the Labor Party? You know, the Labor Party has had this proactive um, stance and they've done really well getting more women and there's some terrific women. But again, why are they not fighting harder? Why are they letting coal seam gas why are they letting these things go through the keeper why are those women's voices still getting subsumed to the basically the capitalist voices of profit and greed because I don't believe those women are agreeing with these things I believe that they're being given these arguments about political expediency and oh you know like we need to take this money because if we're not elected next time we can't do any good you know those sorts of ethical dilemmas so I think that yes, we have an opportunity to sort of get more women into Parliament. But if the reason to get more women into Parliament is to effect change through legislation. I think the Women's Union can be doing this around that obstacle of lack of female representation because we can get a whole bunch of women actually um, going to the parliamentarians that we have and advocating and putting massive pressure on them to do something and, and putting putting the focus on them as well as the support. So putting some pressure but giving them that support. So I, I'm not sure what to do about the political system. <laughs> well, but, uh, I mean, I love the I idea reckon, of
2: getting into labour and making mm, change myself, but that's, yeah. that's pretty...
4: Now, a conversation about patriarchy would be completely neglectful if we didn't mention the Democratic Federation of Northern Syria. Are you guys aware of this? No. Right. Now, uh, when the Syrian war started, um, Assad, the dictator, was very busy down south yeah. fighting a, Iran, well, a lot of people who were having a revolution on him, and they left the Kurdish population up the north, mm. Pretty much to themselves. And yes. they said to the last army post that was there, might be time to go down south, guys. And they went, oh, all right. <laughs> uh, so they it off down south. And the Kurds, for seven years, governed themselves. Now, like you were saying with Indi, uh, they were prepared before they put a candidate up. So the Kurds have been getting prepared for this for many, many years, for decades. And they have created a system where sovereignty is held on the local scale, on the neighbourhood scale but they've specifically designed their political system to get rid of patriarchy. They looked at where oppression came from. They came to the same conclusion as you guys. Domination of women was it. So on every... So you've got a neighbourhood council. Yeah. Neighbourhood council has a question. It might have come down from the federation above. It might have been made by themselves or come up from below. So they rely on sub-councils. So the Turkmen community will have a council and the... the, uh, Arab community will have a council and the Muslims, probably the Arabs. Um, but there's many, many different ethnic groups there. And they all have a men's and a women's council. And they come back and at the, uh, the neighbourhood level, there's also a women's council and a men's council. And they have to agree to make decisions. Um, and this is federated all the way up. So they've formed cooperative organisations to do the municipal... Works, you know, the water, the electricity, all of this stuff. But the head of that, if the head's a man, the second, oh, no, actually, they have to have dual heads, right? Man and a woman. Yeah. Um, and they're also ethnically staggered as well. So, so if oh, one's fantastic. a Muslim, the other one has to be a so Kurd there's or voices. a so or an they an Armenian. enough They make sure
3: there's or, diversity. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They force diversity. It's just representation. I mean, diversity so it's really becomes. That's really worth
4: checking oh, out. I'd to check
3: it and out. They
4: lasted for seven years until wow. Donald Trump and Erdogan. Oh God. Invaded yeah. last year, late last year.
3: What a shame! Mm. Of walk- but but keep the, an eye on them. Good on the Kurds. They're not
4: going anywhere. They've been no. there for a long time. It's fantastic. And they've
3: been oppressed by everybody, left, right, and centre. So they understand yep. oppression. Mm. They sure
4: do. <laughs>
1: I mean, here we are again. Because, like, I could talk to you guys for two shows back to back, or well, we um, could talk at you. Yeah, Zima. I know. This is wonderful. <laughs> but I just want to steer us back a little bit because I so want to use the minutes we have left for you to tell us about. This vision you have Um, Mm. It's got a very unusual name And I love etymology So perhaps you could tell us about the name as well Okay,
3: well there's actually someone else Um, I've been speaking to a fabulous young woman Called um, Janessa Mm O'Connell And we sort of got together uh, Just quickly Mm -hmm. while we were doing some campaigning um, To talk about, you know How we could start this at a local level Like in Canberra And we were sort of talking about You know, I've been involved in business organisations And she's been involved in industry organisations And again, it's this idea of cyber. And so we came up with this idea, and it was sort of, you know, also part of the conversation that Beth and I had had around the politics side of things, of having this kind of council of influence, I suppose, if you want to describe it, Um, and we were looking to collect women of influence in Canberra and we wanted to call it Virago. And so Vanessa and I were just sort of doing a bit of brainstorming about what kind of name. And um, I can't remember. Oh, that's right. I'd heard this amazing woman on the radio long story her life story but she changed her name and she chose Virago and the interviewer said why'd you ch- why'd you choose Virago and she said because it's a really um, oftentimes unused word because it actually means heroic a heroic woman it is specifically a female, hero Um, and she is heroic uh, and she's strong and she's valiant and she's all of those things that women so often don't get labeled with and it's such a great word because of course you know used in in modern parlance a virago is somebody that screechy screechy, screamy you know she's actually chucking a tantrum she's not a hero Um, so we want to you know again like women and language oftentimes we have to do a lot of sort of reclaiming these things <laughs> so we want to start an organisation called Canberra Virago. So it's all the heroes. Um, so it has nothing to do with how much money you earn or make. It has nothing to do with how much political or social power you have or you have not. It's actually about those small acts of hero- heroism that you do in your family or in your community. Yeah,
2: and I re- I really love the idea of it because, you know, throughout my career I've been a public servant for a long time and I've never had access to those women's groups because yeah. I wasn't a woman in business or I wasn't anyone, you know, a woman in I or anything like that because all these groups, as Peter said, are siloed and unless you fit into one of those, you you, you don't participate yeah, in it and we, So and what I love about this is being able to bring women from all d- diverse walks of life, bring them all together and, and mm. unite each other and, and raise each other's voices.
3: Mm. And kind of subvert the, pa- the, the capitalist idea that, you know, value comes to money um, and the patriarchal idea that value is about social influence or social status because, you know, women just aren't in that game. We're not in that race. So it's the idea of kind of – the other thing about women is is the way we've been conditioned, again, and everybody's on a spectrum, so I don't want to generalise, but gen- mostly women will not give themselves credit. Mm-hmm. They actually need others. So one of the things I learned when I was in running Canberra Women in Business and as the president during our awards process was – women will absolutely you will make their day if you nominate them for something they would rather poke themselves in the eye with a <laughs> stick than nominate, nominate themselves, themselves. <laughs> because they've been told all their lives do not talk yourself up do not be yeah. arrogant do not you know have tickets do not this do Don't not be that visible. It don't be visible, be visible. Mm. exactly. Because if you if you're if you start with yourself, if you make yourself visible, then other people Bec- don't have power over you. But yeah. if you if you always agree to wait till somebody else makes you visible, you're always giving your power to someone else. Mm. So the thing about Virago is it the the idea that and I saw the the value of this is actually going tapping women on the shoulder and going, you're an influencer and people going oh my god am i and it's amazing once you tell women that you have influence you have influence it's incredible all of a sudden that they do they're still doing the same thing but they actually uh, uh, they, they, they actually own their own power. They take their own power. Then they, they want to use it proactively and with consciousness and, you know, purpose. But Whereas before we support, they were yeah. just doing it because they felt they had sort of a moral obligation. So it's this idea of, of collecting a bunch of heroic women.
2: Heroic women, but it's uniting women. It's ama- I'm always amazed that when women support each other, we can do achieve really, really incredible things. Mm. So Peter and I have sort of had a lot of um, drinks down at the Caribou discussing <laughs> our ideas for for this. I'm just looking at the time, noting we've only got a few minutes left. But you know, we, we love the idea of of finding all these women and tapping them on the shoulder and saying, you know, you're amazing in what you do. Come and be part of Canberra Virago. Mm. But what Peter and I have um, something we'd really love to do is start a podcast. Yeah. Of, of and and invite these women in and and interview them and, and let them talk about themselves, give them agency to say, you know, what 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 brought them to that point? How did they yeah. get there and what yeah. they want to achieve. And that way we can, you know, put their voices out into the world yeah. and connect. We'll start off with Canberra. We'd love to make it national one day. Um, but just make
3: sure, you know, get these women to be yeah. heard. Yeah, will probably I've, I've found
4: locally you'll have your hands full. There's so many cool things going exactly. on. Exactly, yeah. yeah.
3: exactly. So we'll probably start with sort of a social platform like LinkedIn um, and because, you know, that sort of is about the right sort of tenor. And then we'll just sort of see where it goes. But definitely, you know, because I just find we're always seeing the same women. You know, there's five women that mm. are considered influential women and they trot trotted out for everything, you know, Julie Bishop here, <laughs> Tracy Spicer there, um, you know, and not enough women women of colour, not enough women with disability, not enough women from culturally and linguistically backgrounds not enough first nations women one of the first people because i do have a bit of a connection is lydia thorpe mm, um, so just amazing. a shout out to nadoc week um, if we get this podcast up and running the first person that we will be interviewing will be a local first nations woman and there are a whole bunch of them to choose from
1: mm, that's wonderful so if anybody wants to get in touch with you
3: what's the best way probably the best way is find peter Swabrick or bethany williams on linkedin Um, if you Google either of us, there'll be a bunch of social media pop up.
2: I've got a Facebook page. It's, um, I changed it from my candidate page. It's Bethany Williams. Um, what is it? Um, political commentator and wannabe politician.
3: (laughs) I might change mine too. I might change mine to Peter Swarbrick Virago. Yeah. 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 So
2: that, that, that's something anyone can follow and, and get in touch with me with there.
1: Oh, that's fantastic.
2: Well, you know, we we always run
1: out of time with you guys. Like, <laughs> Sorry. So you should have seen Miss Scotty saying, like, we haven't got enough questions. We haven't got enough questions. So like, no, we only need about two questions. <laughs> we'd love you know, to know, come and back. Peter are to talk. Well, we'd love to hear more. Like, in come back when we've Absolutely. got more going oh, on Virago. We'd XXX love to. double X is
4: looking for local shows. Yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, maybe you might gosh. want to so get on air. maybe, maybe there. we start a Canberra Virago show. Maybe oh, we start yeah,
4: a Canberra on, yeah, on. I oh,
1: think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming back in the studio. Oh, thank you, have it's you always here. so much fun yeah. Great to have you so, so that's, you know, again The end of another beautiful show But a huge thank you to Bethany Williams and Peter Swarbrick For joining us this morning And looking forward to hearing more about Virago Canberra <laughs> Very soon